This podcast is brought to you by the Pro Bono Institute. PBI is a nonprofit organization that supports, enhances, and helps to transform the pro bono efforts of major law firms, in-house corporate legal departments, and public interest organizations in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm your host, Nihad Mansour, Assistant Director of the Law Firm Pro Bono Project. Since 2020, many law firms have incorporated new racial justice efforts into their pro bono programs. Some have hired pro bono professional staff whose primary focus is to expand the firm's racial justice work. Others have expanded the roles and responsibilities of their pro bono professionals to include racial justice. Today I'm speaking with three law firm pro bono professionals whose role includes focusing on pro bono and racial justice. Diane Lucas, Pro Bono Counsel for Racial Justice Initiatives at Davis Polk, Quincy McNeil, Pro Bono Counsel at Hush Blackwell, and Kareen Irish, heading Pro Bono as a partner at Squire Patton Boggs. Diane, Quincy, and Kareen shared more about how having Pro Bono professional staff with a focus on racial justice is valuable, and how it has helped their firm's Pro Bono program commit to racial justice in the long term. Diane Lucas, with the specific title of Pro Bono Counsel for Racial Justice Initiatives at Davis Polk, honors the value in having a clear focus area for her pro bono counsel position. I think it's really important to institutionalize these roles. So they're longstanding and still being prioritized, even when the level of attention on racial justice issues is no longer trending in our society or trending on Twitter. And it's also important to name that the role is focusing on systemic racial justice initiatives. Much of the pro bono work that my firm did prior to creating my role was racial justice work, but there's power in acknowledging and naming the urgency of the issue and that we are prioritizing addressing racial injustice and in particular systemic racial injustice. And further, having my role has helped us deepen our commitment to doing systemic racial justice work at our firm. I have a clear mandate to develop and supervise matters that will combat racial and social injustice and inequality. And this has led us to do more systemic racial justice work and continuing to seek out some of the most urgent cases that we can work on in this area. Quincy McNeil shares how his role at Hush Blackwell integrates the firm's DEI and racial justice strategy. My job at Hush Blackwell is to represent minority businesses. And it's very much a part of our DEI strategy. And it's very much a part of our racial justice strategy. And here's what I mean. What we seek to do is to help businesses, minority businesses, grow and develop and excel. And the hope is that we will be able to watch them grow. And not just that, but watch them expand opportunities for equity and for wealth, particularly among minorities. That is to say, that if we can help a business grow and develop, then what that business typically does that we have seen is its capacity increases, its need for workers increases, its need for employees increases, its need for independent contractors increases. And what we have seen is largely those are also minorities. So the minority businesses, the minority entrepreneur is engaging, empowering, and employing other minorities. So in our mind, the strategy here is not like other valuable strategies, which are largely to 
uh, convince a majority company about the importance of DEI. That's not what we're doing. What we are doing is placing resources in the hands of minorities to help them grow and excel and to help them reverse systemic disparities that exist in these communities. So that's a part of our strategy. It's a part of what we're trying to do to confront disparities and also to achieve racial justice. A background on racial justice and over 10 years of experience at the firm has supported Kareen's role and enhanced the racial justice work at Squire Patton Boggs. It's very valuable to have somebody in this role that has a background or focus on racial justice when a program is looking to enhance its racial justice work. And to just to be clear, you know, I came into this role as already doing this work as part of the firm's public service initiative, which is our freestanding pro bono practice group that is devoted to tackling, rectifying injustices in the criminal justice system and civil rights violations, the violations of constitutional rights with a focus on utilizing the firm's resources to target very resource intensive litigation and focus on advocacy that can bring about systemic change. And so I came with that background, having 10 years of splitting my work as part of PSI, public service initiative and having a commercial practice. So the firm has always done this work as part of as part of the public service initiative and beyond, but wanted to enhance it by having me step into the role of pro bono counsel. And what I think that brings to the table is a level of credibility in regards to the community of advocates and attorneys who are focused on racial justice when they see someone who has experience in that role, who has worked on cases or advocacy efforts already within that community that they're familiar with. And so legal nonprofits and organizations who do that work want to work with you more um, because you have someone in that role who has experience and experiences with them. You know, I think the community of racial justice advocates is a real community and those connections are important if you want to do that work and if you want to enhance the work that you are doing within the firm. Diane Quincy and Corrine relayed the impact of making the connection between racial justice and bridging the access to justice gap through pro bono and how it has developed the roles. Diane discussed how this connection between racial justice and pro bono is relevant to what cases Davis Polk's pro bono program takes on and prioritizes. Thank you for this question. It's, it's so important to acknowledge that access to justice is a racial justice issue. Many of our clients would not have access to a lawyer, or at least not in a timely fashion, if it were not for having pro bono counsel. And most of these clients are people of color. And we know systemically people of color have limited access to counsel and especially counsel with substantial resources or even sufficient resources. And we think about access to justice issues often in determining which cases and projects to take on. Would our clients otherwise have access to justice? Would they otherwise have an attorney? Um, so we make sure that is top of mind in determining which cases we take on and how we prioritize which cases we take on. 
Quincy shared how his role at Hush Blackwell incorporates focusing on the ripple effects of access to justice through pro bono. What our program here at Hush Blackwell called Communities for Change really is all about is expanding the opportunity uh, for those who do not have access to the justice system, to the legal system, expanding that. So we're talking about, in our particular example of representing minority businesses, we're talking about minority entrepreneurs who do not have the access to the legal system because largely they do not have the resources to hire an attorney. And so what we do is we provide that assistance to these entrepreneurs, assistance they would not have, access to the legal system they would not have. And in so doing, we help them grow and help them build their companies, help them employ other minorities. And and so in, in giving them access to the justice system, we feel like that helps bridge racial justice in the sense that what we're trying to really do with giving them this assistance is help them have more resources and confront the disparities that exist that have for so long existed in minority communities. I'm talking about disparities in healthcare, disparities in education, disparities in opportunity for success, disparities in income, disparities generally. That is what the the racial justice disconnect is, the disparities that they have. So it's our hope that in representing these businesses, in helping these entrepreneurs who then help these employees, that ripple effect, it's our hope that that access to the legal system, which is given to that entrepreneur, will lead to the employee having more resources. And in having more resources, the racial injustice is mitigated. Kareen at Squire Patton Boggs identifies ways the firm can use its resources to impact racial justice. I think that the impact of having this connection between racial justice and access to justice really comes from understanding that communities of color are underserved and and really uh, undercounseled for important matters in their lives outside of just criminal justice, but housing immigration, and all kinds of various education, all kinds of various issues that can impact communities of color disproportionately. And so when you're able to bring attorneys into matters, even small matters, they just have a significant impact in being able to level the playing field and being able to get the the services needed to get, get support, to advocate for whatever a person of color is entitled to under the law, just by having counsel there. I mean, you can, it makes a huge difference. Um, It makes a huge difference just having an attorney. And it can often mean things will just go a different way with little to no effort on behalf of counsel and having to assert themselves. Things will just operate in a, in a manner that it would not have had there been no counsel there to pull the levers and pull the strings to make things happen for a client. So, and these are not, as I said, don't necessarily have to be the systemic or impact litigation. It could be just addressing poor conditions in housing and, and stuff like that. We certainly also look for opportunities 
where the firm's resources can have an impact in terms of civil rights and criminal justice work. And that's, again, just working with solo practitioners in jurisdictions where there may not be firms able to take on resource intensive cases. We want to partner with those local counsel or or civil rights advocates who are working by themselves to be able to assist whatever efforts that they are doing in areas where they may need assistance from a firm. We'd like to use our resources to make a difference in that way. There are a variety of pro bono opportunities that a firm can pursue to contribute to systemic change. Kareen shared about the pro bono advocacy work at Squire Patton Boggs. One example is the work that we have done with regards to juvenile life without parole. I think that there's been three major Supreme Court cases around juvenile life without parole in the past decade or so, Graham v. Sullivan, Miller v. Alabama, and then Montgomery versus Louisiana. And we've been involved in every one of them in some way, working to overturn this idea that we have to give up on juveniles who have committed crimes or even committed murder, that there is no redemption there for them. And so we have advocated in those cases throughout the years to overturn mandatory juvenile life without parole for homicide, to overturn juvenile life without parole for non-homicides, and been part of that movement to make that a success at the Supreme Court level. And then once that happened, we were able to use those precedent for a client in order to obtain his release in Louisiana, Gary Tyler, who was sentenced to to death in Louisiana when he was just 17 years old and has always maintained his innocence in the murder he was convicted of, of another teenager. And so we were able to obtain his release under Miller. And then we were able to take on a number of cases involving individuals who had spent decades in prison who were sentenced as juveniles and were then going before the parole board in order to see if they could get released. And we have been successful in several cases in being able to obtain the release of of folks under this precedent that we were a part of sort of making happen to then be able to see that implemented and and see that in action and be able to utilize it to, to actually help some more people get released from prison and and very wonderful people deserving and who are going to have, you know, have a positive impact on their release. And, And we've been successful in getting folks released. Hush Blackwell's Community for Change program contributes legal resources to minority entrepreneurs to address and reverse systemic disparities in the workplace. Ooh, now I tell you, when you talk about systemic change, you're talking about something that is very different. And my firm is a signatory to the law firm Anti-Racism Alliance. And this is an effort that is underway nationwide. Firms have signed up for this. I don't know what the number is now. It began at a small number. It quickly went to 250, and I believe it's well beyond that now. But we've participated in that in the hopes that we can begin a conversation, cultivate a dialogue, if you will, 
that will help us identify systemic problems, systemic racism issues that create these disadvantages, create, create these injustices, create these uh, horrible situations where uh, minorities uh, do not have the same opportunity as others. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we're a part of that. Our hope is that as time goes on, this group will be able to identify systemic disparities and systemic issues. And, you know, through the committees and through the, the progressive thinking and, and through the thinking of a large group of really intelligent people, find ways, think about ways, brainstorm ways that we can begin to mitigate and address that. With our Communities for Change initiative, the systemic issue that we are trying to address is minorities having fewer opportunities to excel, particularly in the workplace. And there are all sorts of reasons why that has existed. Minorities not being able to go to the same schools as others for such a long time. Minorities not having the same access to housing that others have been uh, or have been allowed to have access to for so long. These create, those systems have created these disparities that we believe resources, money, funding can help to address and reverse. And so in putting our legal resources behind an entrepreneur and hoping that we can help that entrepreneur grow, develop his business, and also help employees, it's our hope that we can address that main disparity that we see and that main systemic issue which is minorities having fewer resources and fewer opportunities. Davis Polk has been involved in pro bono work that has led to systemic racial justice reform in policing. Diane shared more. So we recently finished a two-week judicial inquiry along with co-counsel on behalf of the family of Eric Garner and police reform advocates who have been seeking transparency from New York City officials and police officers regarding Mr. Garner's death in 2014 and the city's action and response. And this was brought under a sunlight provision of the New York City Charter, which is section 1109. And this was the first section of 1109 inquiry to take place in a hundred years. The end result of this inquiry will be a record of the examination of witnesses, which included the police officers who were involved in Mr. Garner's death uh, and city officials who were tasked with investigating these officers, as well as the exhibits that were admitted in the inquiry. So this was a rare and historic opportunity to shed light on much of what went terribly and tragically wrong in the events leading to Mr. Garner's death and the aftermath. And we hope that this inquiry and the information that was revealed will lead to more systemic racial justice reform in policing and beyond. Corrine Quincy and Diane shared how they navigate a balance of pursuing pro bono work that furthers systemic change that would provide broader racial justice for individual clients and communities of color in the long term, and pro bono work that helps individuals with immediate and current legal issues that are a product of the current systems producing the inequitable outcomes we see today. In addition to providing attorneys with individual pro bono cases based on their interests and the immediate community legal needs, in her position, Corrine is able to advocate to the firm to take on more resource-intensive cases that will provide broader systemic impact. I don't think too much about trying to balance it. I really do believe that 
every case sets a precedent that has an impact beyond itself and that incremental changes in the system are important. They really add up, they build pressure, and that pressure can lead to systemic change. I do think that those cases are equally important and impact litigation is also important. Working on Supreme Court decisions, that can mean the recognition of a fundamental constitutional right is important, but also then digging in and sort of doing the work to, you know, help those individual clients is equally important. So I do focus on as pro bono counsel, just thinking about how to shape what things that we should be taking on that are more impactful, that may take more resources, I would say more resource intensive and proposing the need for that and and why the firm should get involved. And I think that's important as a pro bono counsel to be able to speak to those things and to be able to make those cases for why these things should be taken on. But in terms of the smaller cases, I think, you know, that's up to individual attorneys. And I try to just present those opportunities to people to see where their interest lies and what they find meaningful to them. And I think that's important as the driver for engaging your attorneys around pro bono is that it's not top down necessarily. It's, it's, it's really showing opportunities and hoping that they find them meaningful, that people find them meaningful and want to take them on. So I think that's really the balance. I think I would add is I think that helping organizations, legal nonprofits and initiatives that are trying to shine a light on injustice is an important aspect of ultimately bringing about that systemic change. So when we can do that, even if it's just helping form an organization, helping review documents for a lease or anything like that, that that helps, again, ultimately bringing about the systemic change because now you have organizational players that you're supporting to do, to do good and to do that very important racial justice work. Quincy shares more about how Hush Blackwell's Communities for Change initiative balances the desire to see transformative change in both systemic reform and work addressing immediate legal needs. We talk about this pro bono work that furthers the systemic change, this advocacy type of work, and, and, and the question is balancing that with the, uh, with the other type of pro bono work that we see a lot of, and that's the immediate work that helps with these immediate current legal issues. And the way that I balance it is, and I think the answer is gonna be different based on where you are. The answer is gonna be different based on which firm you in, you're in, you're at, and what your partner's perspective is. So, you know, we have a desire to see tremendous transformative change in both of those areas, both in the advocacy type of work, but then also we wanna see tremendous change in the immediate, legal issue work to help the individual who's in an immediate situation. That provides two different metrics for us, right? So one, we want to see people who are in situations and oftentimes in our, with our pro bono work, these are folks in dire situations. We wanna see their lives better quickly. We wanna see them improve. We wanna see the individual who is going through a, a situation, the minority, for example, who is, uh, 
dealing with an awful system and, and is in prison currently, or the individual who is being deported, um, or whatever the issue or the ailment may be, we want to see change for that individual immediately, as quickly as we can. And so there, I think there will always be a desire to help people in the here and now, to help folks who are going through an emergent situation right now. So there's that desire, but then there's always also the desire to have a, a, a broader sort of impact, uh, one that we think will be able to more broadly affect change, more, more broadly create a situation where we have fewer individuals who are dealing with the immediate situation, right? And so the way we balance that really is in understanding that the more systemic, the more broad advocacy issues, if we can, if we can attack those, then, then that has a positive impact on reducing the individual situations that we see. So there's always gonna be, I think, a desire to get it from the root, a desire to advocate, always a desire, I think, to, to, to cover the broader problem because we realize that that also informs and helps fix those immediate issues. Um, but when you are seeking help in that broader way, you, you don't always see immediate results, right? That takes a longer amount of time. You have to be invested over time to see those sorts of results. So because of that, uh, I, I think, and because of the desire to see people's lives improve today, tomorrow, next week, I think we will always be interested uh, in both. And we will always be interested in, you know, deploying our assets uh, for both the long-term and the short-term goal. Diane, pro bono counsel for racial justice initiatives at Davis Polk, has a specific mandate to focus on systemic racial justice initiatives that have broad systemic impact. So this is something that I thought a lot about when I started this role. And as I noted earlier, much of our pro bono work at the firm is racial justice work, whether it be family law, immigration, or transactional pro bono. And in most of these cases, my pro bono colleagues are representing individuals or small businesses. Um, but because my mandate is to focus on systemic racial justice initiatives, I strive to take on cases that will have broad systemic impact, such as cases that could potentially change or shed light on unjust laws or policies, or taking advantage of new developments in the law, different law reforms. And sometimes that means representing one individual in a case, but most times we are representing a group of individuals or a class action in our racial justice initiatives. So basically we just try to think about what will the impact be, regardless of whether it's an individual we're representing or a class action. It is encouraging to see law firms continue to discover new ways to incorporate racial justice into pro bono. Quincy, Corrine, and Diane shared what inspires them the most to keep going when change in the legal system and other systems will take time. Well, I tell you, Diane, what really encourages me is that we're talking about it, right? What really encourages me is that pro bono continues to be fundamental at large law firms, medium-sized law firms, even small law firms. What encourages me is that we are employing 
more people, law firms are employing more people to do this work. And they're employing people like me, people like my colleague, Corrine, and people like my colleague, Diane, uh, in these new and innovative roles to attack this from different angles, right? And those different angles are because those different firms perhaps have different skill sets, different strengths, different abilities. And so over here, we are trying to help minority businesses. Over at Davis Polk, they're taking a larger, sort of a broader look at this and, and, and attacking um, racial injustice. At other places, they may be doing something different. But I'm so encouraged because we are talking about this. Pro bono departments are growing, maybe not exponentially, but they're growing. Uh, and racial justice is starting to become sort of dead center in terms of the focus and the focal point for these law firms. And, and, you know, some of this is largely in response to the Breonna Taylors and the Botham Jeans down here in Texas and the, the others, you know, the George Floyds. Some of this is directly in response to that. But I'm encouraged that this is not going to be simply reflexive, you know, that this will be something that we do for a year or two or three I'm encouraged that that is not the case because I see the people that these firms are employing. These are people of tremendous substance in the pro bono space. These are folks who've done very well with their practice, both in a commercial sense and in a pro bono sense. That is so encouraging to me that we've got some weighty, substantial people who are leading these efforts. I'm inspired the legal system, speaking through its larger firms is serious about this and is in this to win this and to make some real change. What encourages me the most is seeing people experienced on these issues in prominent roles in pro bono at these firms, because I think that's really important. It means you have people that speak this language. It means that you have people who not only can sort of speak to law firm management and educate management on these issues and on the specific needs that need to be addressed and the initiatives that the firm should be looking towards. But it also means you have, as I said earlier, people with these relationships and these connections within the racial justice community actually leading the charge. And so that's really important. And that is encouraging to see people like Quincy McNeil and Diane Lucas in these roles, and also seeing firms adopting formal initiatives and agendas around these issues, really funding initiatives on racial justice. It means that there, to me, it signifies real change. It's not just lip service and it's not something that's going to fade. These are things that are being formally implemented that I hope and, and I'm encouraged that will be a part of these law firms in years to come. I'm inspired by the amount of resources from the private bar that are being leveraged to do racial justice work. Just one example is the regular programming from the ABA and ABCO and LFAA about pressing racial justice issues. For example, I saw something about critical race theory that's coming up or reparations. And this is not because it's Black History Month. This is just a regular Tuesday. Um, and I think that's so powerful 
that this is regular programming and that the bar is acknowledging that these are things that we all need to know, especially as pro bono attorneys, this is part of our regular continuing legal education. And then of course, the pro bono opportunities to do racial justice work for lawyers and not lawyers as well. And just seeing the increase in that has been really inspiring. And then we've also seen that many law firm clients are interested in working with their outside counsel on pro bono racial justice initiatives, which is very exciting to be able to partner with your clients to do this work. And I've seen examples of pro bono attorneys from firms across the country come together to push for systemic racial justice reform. And one thing I wanted to lift up was the Jim Crow Juries Project with the Promise of Justice Initiative in Louisiana, where hundreds of pro bono attorneys from across the country are working with the Promise of Justice Initiative to represent almost 1,500 people who were convicted based on a law that permitted criminal convictions upon a verdict by a non-unanimous jury, right? meaning that the, the jury did not agree that they were guilty, but yet they still were convicted. Um, but this was a, a Jim Crow law that sought to silence Black jurors and disproportionately impacted Black defendants, which was found to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court last year, but that decision was not made retroactive. And Davis Polk is representing 23 of these individuals alongside so many pro bono attorneys from other firms who are also working to file these post-conviction relief applications where we're seeking retroactive application of the Supreme Court decision that found this law to be unconstitutional. And we're also advocating on behalf of our clients with the district attorneys in the various parishes. And so despite the many, many challenges in this Jim Crow juries project, it has been very inspiring to see the power of pro bono attorneys coming together to help address these very deep, very painful systemic wrongs and all in the name of racial justice. Thank you to Diane Lucas, Quincy McNeil and Kareen Irish for their leadership and thoughtful remarks on pro bono staffing and racial justice. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now, and thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.